you know, voluntarily laying aside some activities and some privileges and some things and saying, we're not going to do that during this period for the express purpose of focusing and deepening our sense of how God might want to be working in us as we ramp up towards Easter. And I love that we're doing that. Uh, along the way, we're talking about some spiritual disciplines, the discipline of Lent itself, disciplines like um, fasting and praying and different things like that. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the particular spiritual discipline of giving. There's nothing like the word giving to make an entire congregation kind of take up a defensive posture and go, oh great, this talk again. And I don't know what your background is on messages and uh, people talking about giving. Maybe your picture of that is an evangelist on TV threatening to go off the air if you don't dig deep and give now. You know, maybe you've had that church experience where they drag the youth pastor out and parade his little kids in front of you and say, we're going to have to let them go unless you dig deep. Right? Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've been promised that Every disease, disease would be healed. Every problem would go away. God just was waiting with an abundant, eternal portfolio of financial blessing for you if you would just dig deep right now in this moment. And perhaps some of those experiences um, have jaded you, as it has jaded many, about the concept of giving, especially within a biblical context. This morning, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of giving and specifically its impact on the heart and on the person uh, of the people who take uh, the person who takes it seriously, and I just want to address like right up front, there is like a potential conflict of interest. I just want to talk about it. Right, in one role, uh, I am on staff as a pastor in the church, and one of my duties is I oversee the finances of the church, so I'm keenly aware of that. And in this other role, as a as a preacher this morning, um, I'm speaking to you about something that the Bible says about giving. And that actually might present a, a sense between you of maybe conflict. Like, is it the financial guy who's talking to us right now? Or is it the preacher guy that's talking to us right now? And I just want to make that incredibly clear. This morning I'm talking on the discipline of giving. I'll be, I will be challenging you, I'll be encouraging you to step up and to step into what is an amazing spiritual discipline. Because I believe it's one of the core disciplines that God uses to form us to produce amazing things in the spirit and step up to that challenge and take it seriously. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about the way from scripture that, it, uh, that giving impacts us and changes us and shapes us into the people that God wants us to be. But I want to be abundantly clear. I am not up here raising funds in the role of the financial guy. In fact, were I to stand at this pulpit in the role of the preacher who is to proclaim to you the word of God, with a motive of anything other than that. If I were to stand here talking to you about giving out of a motive of improving the finances of the church, I would be judged. It would be exploitive. It would be manipulative. It would be repulsive. Uh, and quite frankly, if you, were to, if you were to think that that's what was taking place here, you should probably walk out on me. I'll ask you to wait till the end of the service because it could be potentially embarrassing. But you should sit, when you sit in a church under teaching, you should sit under teaching that you believe is coming from a motive of purity and a desire to see God's best lived out for you. We're going to talk about what it means to give. And yes, there are organizations, there are churches, there are people who will talk a lot from a pulpit about money with a, with a motive that is at best mixed and sometimes is 100% with nothing other than the desire to move money from your pocket into theirs. But isn't it possible that something else is in play here as well? 
Isn't there the possibility that within Scripture, that the ideas of giving, that the ideas of generosity are legitimately found laced throughout all of Scripture? Isn't there the, isn't there the possibility that, genos, that generosity may in fact be very, very deeply ingrained in the heart of God and in his identity and who he is, that maybe that's a part of the character of God himself? Isn't there the possibility uh, that the process of following Jesus and becoming more and more like him is inherently a process that will make us more and more like God, and that means making us inherently more and more giving and more and more generous as people. I am asking all of us this morning to maybe set aside some preconceived conclusions or maybe mere suspicions about what the motives are and listen not so much to the heart of a person speaking, but listen for the heart of God speaking to you about where he might be calling you to step up in discipline and in your pursuit of him. That's what we want to talk about this morning. The possibility that taking practical, disciplined steps to move us in the direction that God is, uh, is calling us is actually very good for our soul. It's good for our spirit. It's good for our relationship with God. That's what we're talking about. Now, why money? Why, why would money be the focus of a particular spiritual discipline? Like, I get fasting, very spiritual. I get prayer, very spiritual, right? But why money? And I think to understand the way that it works, the, uh, the discipline of giving works as a, as a spiritual discipline, we have to understand what I call the different versions of me. We've all got the different versions of ourselves, but I'll just talk about me for a moment. There's, I mean, there's the me who I really am, right? This is the God's eye view of me. When God looks down and sees me as I really am, that's the me that I really am. Somewhere off from that is the me that I think I am. And there might be some overlap, but a lot of times I give myself a lot of permission and I make up a lot of excuses and I, and I think I'm something that I'm really not. There's the, the me I really am, the me that I think I am, then there's the me that I show my friends or my family, right? Very few people get to see every last corner of my life, but I reveal little pieces of myself and disclose different parts of myself to different people. That's the me I show my friends. Then outside of that, there's the me that I show the world. This is my social media me. He looks great. He's having a great time, never has a bad day, all is well, right? Maybe the furthest removed from reality, but it's just another me that's out there. And then there's the me that the world sees as they look at those various versions of me and they just interpret it and think what they think. Um, and there's all of this. But there's one other me that I haven't touched on. We can start with the, uh, with the me that really is and work this way, but somewhere over here is the me that I want to be. The me that I'm called to be. It's the me that God designed me to be. It's the me full that, that is living out all of the potential that God put in me when he created me. That's the me I'm called to be. That's the person that I want to be. And so with all of these me's floating around, who's the real person? And maybe if we want to begin the business of taking the me that really is and moving him or her towards the me that God calls me to be, the me that I want to be, it starts with understanding where I am right now. You, you know, you really only need three things to find out who somebody really is. Three C's. If you look at their contact list, if you look at their calendar, and you look at your checkbook, you can know most of what you need to know about anybody. Take a look at their friends, the people they hang out with, the people that are in their life. It says an awful lot about somebody. Take a look at the calendar. 
Where do they spend the time? What gets the attention? Where is the investment made in the, in the shape of time and appointments and planning? That says an awful lot about who we actually are, right? And take a look at our checkbook. The things where we spend our money say a lot about who we are and about what's important. And the way that the spiritual disciplines work is they, they take these various features and they direct them towards the people that we're supposed to be, right? So with our contact list, the people that are a part of our life, there's a spiritual discipline of attendance at church and being part of a life group on a regular basis that helps direct my relationships towards the direction of being that person I want to be that has lots of, lots of relationships that are spiritually uplifting. And so I discipline myself to be in those relationships as part of a church and part of a life group, part of a small group, so that I can become that person. With regard to my calendar, I set aside times, right? We set aside times of fasting, of prayer, of solitude. We make sure that they actually find, our, find their way into the things that we're doing so that the way we spend our time actually is moving us towards the me that God calls us to be. And with regard to our checkbook, the same thing plays its part. Jesus said this, right? Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So we come to the discipline of giving, which just simply means this. It means uh, uh, involving, it involves organizing my financial life around some very specific giving practices that help the me that I am become the me that God calls me to be. If my heart is going to be where my treasure is, then the discipline of giving helps me put my money where my heart ought to be. So, how does that guy, the guy that God calls me to be, the person that God designed me to be, how does that person organize their finances? How does that happen? Psalm, uh, Psalm 37 says this. It says, the wicked borrow, hopefully that's not the me I'm being called to, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous, it says, give generously. If you wanted to summarize how the person that God calls me to be organizes his finances, I would say he organizes his finances so that he can be a generous giver. So what does that entail? How do we get there? And this is where we begin to look into the Bible and say, God, what does generous giving look like? How, do you, how, how has God revealed to us what this very general idea of generous giving looks like in actual practical uh, daily living out. And in the Old Testament, the model was clear. People became generous givers through the practice of tithing. That is, taking 10% of their increase, whether that's of their crops or of their livestock or whatever, and setting that first 10% aside and offering it to the Lord as a gift. And that gift went to the temple for the sustaining of the work at the temple of the priests and the Levites and all of that. And, uh, and we look at that and we say, wow, that's kind of a threatening model for being a generous giver. 10% feels very threatening for many of us. It, it feels even undoable. Um, I just want to pause for a moment and let you know that if you think that 10% is a threatening model, you shouldn't even begin to look at the New Testament. Where Jesus says, if anybody has need, go fulfill it. Where Jesus says, if someone asks for your shirt because they don't have a shirt, give them your, or ask for your coat, give them your shirt also. Where Jesus, as he shares the story of the Good Samaritan, says, hey, loving our neighbor, loving our enemy, or loving our neighbor actually includes meeting the needs of our worst enemies. 
and caring for them in ways that will never be returned to us financially. Like 10% and the Old Testament model, I can at least plan for that. The New Testament model is, uh, is very unplannable. It says, get ready to meet any need that you come across and have a ready response of generous giving. A lot of people, when they look at the Old Testament model, say, well, that's okay. That's not, that's not really binding for me. That's an Old Testament thing. And the people who followed God in the Old Testament, the Jews, they were bound to do that. But then Christ came, and there's a new covenant. It's not the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. It's a new covenant, and it's a New Testament, and it's not based on works, and it's not based on following the rules. It's based on the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. And that's absolutely true. But we don't get to just throw away the Old Testament, right? We don't get to just pretend it never existed. We still learn from it. It is still the inspired word of God. The Old Testament law has all kinds. There's some moral law, right? There's the moral law like the Ten Commandments. Don't murder, right? Don't commit adultery. Uh, have no other gods before me. We don't just throw those aside and go, oh, that's Old Testament stuff. No, that's, that's real. In addition to some of the straightforward moral laws, straightforward moral laws in the Old Testament, though, there's also like some civil and ceremonial kinds of laws that talk about how they live life day in and day out. And so, like, they got some, I mean, read through the book of Leviticus. It's awesome. Whole chapters devoted to what do you do with people in the camp who have oozing sores. That's, I'm telling you, that is great reading, right? And we read that and we say, I feel so much closer to God because I know how, what they had to do with people who had oozing sores. But here's the thing. We don't, it's, uh, we don't just throw that away. We maybe don't have the same exact rules for people who have oozing sores, but there is a principle knit into the fabric of every one of those specific commands that we have to interpret and we have to understand, and that's what we apply in the New Testament context. Right? So when someone has an infection, we don't kick them out into outer darkness and say, good luck, we'll send a priest to check on you in a couple of weeks. But we recognize something, that out of care for the health of the whole, we need, to make, uh, we need to provide cleanliness and health. When people are sick, we should see to it that A, they receive care, but that B, they don't infect everybody else around them, right? That's just a, it's a very common sense application of the principle that stands behind the law. There's, there are Old Testament regulations about what happens when your bull gets out of your pen, goes into the neighbor's pen, and gores somebody over there. And the rule is, you have to actually make recompense. You have to give some restitution. You have to pay for what happened. Now, most of us are not going to apply the rule because we don't have a wild bull running around in our pen or the neighbor's pen. But the principle that says when something I'm responsible for causes damage and hurt for someone else, I need to make good on that, that's a principle we get to put into play in a New Testament context as well, right? Giving's the same way. The Old, the Old Testament and the law says some things about the way God asked his people to give. And a lot has changed since then, but God hasn't. And it's incumbent upon us as people who take the Bible, God's word, seriously to do the hard work of saying, well, whatever that meant then, what does it mean now, and how do I live that out? So just like a quick, quick primer on what it actually says in the Old Testament, there are three passages, and we're not going to go into exhaustive detail, but there are three passages that talked about the obligation or the duty in the Old Testament to tithe. And uh, if you want to go ahead and throw them up on the screen, that would be great. There's one in the book of Numbers, and that was actually, that was the first tithe, um, and 10% of what they... 
of what the people, of their increase in a given year, would actually go to the temple or to the Levites or the priests to actually provide for the working of the temple. There's a second tithe that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 14. This one doesn't get kind of as much press and as much publicity, but it actually commanded the people every year to take another tenth of their increase and set that aside, not for the temple, not for the religious life of the community, but for the religious and spiritual growth of the family. Specifically, it commands them to set a tenth of your stuff aside and then use it to take your family on a vacation to Jerusalem where you can feast together in the presence of God. Make sure that out of your finances that you set aside a significant amount to make sure that the spiritual life, growth, of, and health of your family is managed as well. And then there's a third one later on in that same chapter in Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 14. And this one was actually every third year you did this. Every third year you would take another tenth and you would distribute that to the poor, the orphans, the widows, the refugees, those in need, right in your community, in the town where you live. And so... Um, I mean, if you do the math on that, and depending which, which way you calculate, you can see the actual obligation for your, for your uh, day-in, day-out Israelite was far more than 10%. It was all kinds of stuff. But it's our duty as those who interpret the Old Testament and say, okay, maybe I don't have to do a 10% and take it to the temple, but what's the principle behind that? What has God revealed about his heart in the way that he organized those rules? Those are the things that you and I are compelled to live out in our life today. A lot has changed since the Old Testament. They were an agricultural society, right? We were a technological one. They were, they were a theocracy ruled by God and God's representatives. We're in a democracy. They, they, their uh, spiritual life was revolved around the temple. Ours revolves perhaps more around the local church. They were, um, they were in relationship with God through observance of the law, and we are saved by grace through faith. A lot has changed but God remains the same. And I will say, based on those passages, he continues to care how we manage the resources that he blesses us with. And he continues to care about some very specific causes. The working of the local church, the spiritual health of families, and provision for those who are in need. And this is what the discipline of giving is all about. It's about organizing our financial life in advance to address these specific issues that God cares about, which he has revealed in those passages in the Old Testament. And this is different than just giving spontaneously, kind of in the new, uh, as we talked about in the New Testament model. This is when we talk about the discipline of giving and organizing our financial life around being able to do that. That's different than meeting the spontaneous needs that are in front of us. It's about putting a plan in motion to say, God, I want to reflect your purposes and priorities in the way that I live my financial life. I had a buddy who years ago told me the way he figured out how he would give to the local church was he would sit and he would listen to the message. And then he would rate that message from 1 to 10 at a 0, and that's what he gave. That's actually when we started uh, receiving the offering after, after the worship instead of the message because the worship people are way better at what they're doing than we were doing in the teaching side. Um, but here's the thing. that um, And God bless, he gave from a heart of faith, and he was giving to God. I will never uh, belittle what anyone does as they give. But what I want to clarify is let's not mistake occasional giving or giving prompted in the moment from a very different thing. A discipline, a habit of life, a pattern, a commitment to organizing the whole of my financial life around becoming the kind of person that God's calling me to be. And that means aligning my life with his 
purposes. What makes the discipline of giving an actual discipline is when, after a time of prayer and reflection and consideration, you come to a conclusion that God wants me to organize my finances in a particular way around giving X, fill in the blank, to support the function of the local church, to take care of the spiritual needs of families, to address the needs of those who are in poverty near and far away. What makes it a spiritual discipline is figuring out what God's saying and asking of you, planning to do it, and then living it out. And it is that practice of seeking God, coming to a conclusion about what God's saying, and then acting on the basis of that, that whole process is what moves us from the people that we are towards the people that God's calling us to be. That's why it's not really about the money or the quantity or the volume of the giving. It's about the process of being directed by God in this very important area of life. So organizing our finances around God's priorities, it looks different for different people depending on our circumstances, right? There are amongst us uh, those who have plenty of resource. And, and realigning uh, their financial life uh, around God's priorities wouldn't necessarily involve a lot of sacrifice. It just means moving some, some funds and some spending from one area perhaps over to a different area. Many of us, if we are honest, would say, look, God ha God's given me enough resource to do stuff, but in order to realign those resources with God's priorities, I'm going to have to change some things. In order, in order to give towards those things that are God's highest priorities, I might have to begin to say no to some other things that I've been saying yes to. Organizing our finances around God's priorities means making the life choices that are necessary to make God's priorities our priorities. Others of us are, pro I mean, others of us are living with like zero financial margin at all. Like even if we had the greatest heart in the world to give, there's just nothing there to give right now. And we recognize probably we will, that, that our next step towards becoming the financial people God's called us to be doesn't, may not right now involve giving. It may involve retiring some debt and paying off some things and getting out from the, under the, the burden of that so that I can be free to give in a way that's sustaining over the long haul. It might mean redirecting some of my spending now so that I can pay down the debt so that I can have some margin so that I can organize those finances towards accomplishing God's purposes. See, each one of us has to go before the Lord along with those with whom we share a financial life and say, God, what are you saying to me? I can learn from Scripture that there are some areas uh, that are important to you where in the Old Testament you directed your people specifically to give a specific percentage at a particular period of time to these things. I get that. I'm not a farmer. I live in a different time. I live under a new covenant. But God, I want my financial life to reflect those things that are still your priorities. That requires a season of prayer. It requires a season of conversation. And eventually, that boils down to a decision and to a commitment. And that commitment is a commitment of faith. That commitment doesn't stand you in better stead with God. He doesn't declare you to be a better person because you've come to that conclusion. No, we're talking about a commitment that says, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and so I want to align my life with his purposes and with his values. And this is my best understanding of how he's calling me to do that at this time. 
We seek God and have a conversation. We make a decision and a commitment. And then as an act of spiritual discipline and worship, we walk that out. Giving accomplishes some things that maybe nothing else does. One of the things that giving does is, I mean, the obvious is that it provides practical support for the ministry, for staff people and ministries and buildings and, and all kinds of stuff. I think that's probably the most obvious, but far more important rather than obvious, the very process of living a, a life of disciplined giving is that it cuts across the grain of our natural selfishness. It reminds me that there's more need out there than mine, that there are other things that God's doing that aren't just me. And it, it raises me up from being a selfish person. Beyond that, um, giving, especially in a church context, giving actually signifies connection. It's kind of a next step at which people say, hey, God's doing something here, and I want to be a part of it. So, you know, we meet people. Every, every Sunday we meet new people at the First Connect right after service, and it's awesome. And we do a, a four-week group connect. It's a small uh, way to get a small, short period life group that gets us to know people and get connected. People come into Rooted and get into life groups and people get connected. Another step in connection is, is the one that's produced when someone says, I believe in what's happening here and I want to give. In the last year, here at North Church, 261 different individual people made their first contribution to this church. That represents 148 different families. That's 260 people and 140 some families who said, I, I am coming to understand that God's doing something here and I want to be a part of it. We celebrate that. We rejoice in that. We thank God for that. Not just because there's more money on the bottom line, but we thank God for that because people are coming into a place of connection where God's going to be moving them in a myriad of ways from who they are to who God's calling them to be. And maybe you're one of those people who is newer to the church, and maybe you've found yourself slowly getting connected. I invite you to get to the first connect. Get in a life group. Go through Rooted. But also at some point along the way, as you become aware that this is the place where God is calling you to live and to grow spiritually, take another step of participation. Ask God, what's his call on your life where giving is concerned? Seek the Lord. Have a conversation. Make a decision. And then live that out entirely. So what does that mean? It simply means that from this, from this moment and going forward, we've got some, we got some work to do. Those of us who are already walking, those of us who are walking in this discipline of giving already, I'm going to encourage you, go back to the drawing board and say, God, am I, am I, is my current pattern and my current discipline the one you want? And listen to what he says. For those of you who have no pattern of disciplined giving here in the church and in the community around and different stuff, if that's not a part of the way you organize your finances, I'm, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to challenge you in the name of God to go before God and seek him about what that may look like. And there's going to be choices all along the way. Can I ask you to do this? In addition to praying, in addition to discussing with whomever it is that you share finances with, and in addition to making a commitment about this is how I'm going to organize my financial life to include God's priorities at the top, in addition to the praying and the discussing, discussing and the committing, I'm going to ask you to do a fourth thing, and that's to uh, reinforce that commitment. And here's what I want you to do. At whatever point whether you're writing out the check, at whatever point that you can, I want you to use the word realign. Realign. So if you're writing a check to North Church and you're doing it as a way specifically of saying, I'm kind of realigning my financial life because I want to use this discipline of spiritual giving to become 
the person God's calling me to be. If, if that's what's happening, then in the memo, write the word realign. Not because we're going to track it, but because that reinforces it for you. If, if you're going to pay, pay down some credit card debt so that you can free things up, so that you can engage in this practice, this spiritual discipline of giving, then when you write your check to American Express or Visa or whomever, in the memo, in addition to your account number, write the word realign and let them wonder what the heck that means. <laughs> but you will know. You will know that this is your moment of walking out the discipline of giving. Not because some church needs it. Not because someone gave a motivational talk that inspired you to do it. But because as a follower of Jesus, you're doing everything in your power to align your life with God's priorities. And that includes the way you spend your time as reflected in your calendar. It reflects the way you invest in relationships as visible in your contact list. And it includes the way you organize your financial life as you give God first priority in the checkbook. And I'll simply say this. Watch what happens. Strap in and see what happens in all of those areas as God, through the vehicle of some spiritual disciplines, moves all of us from the people we are to that people he's calling us to be. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I want to pray for us. Because this message doesn't really have a big close. It, it just has an open space ahead of it. And God, we, you're calling us to walk into that with this question on our minds and hearts. God, what are you saying to me about the way I'm organizing my financial life? And am I doing so in a way that reflects your priorities? And God, my prayer is this, that as we engage that question with you, would you speak clearly to our minds and hearts? God, would you help husbands and wives to come together to just solid conclusions about what their financial life could be as they submit it to you. God, would you help students and singles in the earlier stages of their life to lay hold of this principle of following you and how you lead them in their finances? God, we look to you to be the one who guides us every step of the way. Would you speak clearly and would you give us courage to walk in faithful obedience in Jesus' name? Well, we thank you so much for finding North Church Sermons Online, and we hope that the message today brought value and enrichment to your life. If you'd like to participate in the giving of this ministry, there's a couple of easy ways for you to do that. You can text the word NORTH to 77977 and receive a text back and get your online giving set up in under 60 seconds. Or else you can visit us online at northchurch.net and click on Give Online and participating in the things that God's doing right here at North Church. We thank you so much for joining us. God bless.